It's always a joy to announce God's Word. Today we're talking about the subject and studied it in Joshua chapter 7, avoiding trouble that leads to ruin. Let's pray. Father, help us now in this moment that we might see from your Word the practical lessons that we need for our life every day. May we look at them, may we read them, may we obey them. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Joshua chapter 7, we will be looking at chapter 6 just a little bit, but not a whole lot. You have a study guide with you that uh, will fill in things because I do not have a PowerPoint. I could have made one, but I didn't make one because Barb usually does it, and I didn't even ask her to to try to help me on that. Um, Avoiding trouble that leads to ruin, uh, a very important subject found in Joshua chapter 7. Someone has said, and this is kind of interesting, if you could kick the person responsible for most of your troubles in the backside, you wouldn't be able to sit down for two weeks. (laughs) Probably true, probably true. You know, Job said it pretty well. Job said, man is born to trouble as the sparks fly upward. Do the sparks fly upward when you toss a rock on the flame? Yes, they do. These verses, as we look at them today, I would like you to remember two very important verses found in the New Testament that talk about the Old Testament. One of them is 1 Corinthians 10:11. Let me just read it for you. Please listen. Now, all these things happened to them, that is Israel, as examples, and they were written for our admonition on whom the ends of the ages have come. Another one, Romans 15.4. For whatever things were written before were written for our learning that we, through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. There's nothing written in the Bible that is not important. There is nothing written in the Old Testament that is not applicable to you and me by the spiritual lessons that it brings. So we should listen to Joshua chapter 7 and learn some things that would really, really help us in our day-by-day walk. Now, the name of the title of our message is uh, not just a far-flung idea, because you see, in uh, the, the, the word Achan, uh, if you look at First Chronicles 2.7, his name is given as Achar, And the meaning of his name is trouble. There we go. And the word A-I, A-I, just like it sounds, that means ruin. So that's why the avoiding trouble that leads to ruin. We will see the sequence as we go through it. Joshua 7 should be read by all and taken very seriously because there's a message for you and me there for sure. Well... As we look at verse 17 and 18 of the previous chapter, chapter 6, just notice those two verses, please. A very, very interesting uh, set of uh, verses. Now the city shall be doomed by the Lord to destruction, it and all who are in it, only Rahab, he's referring, of course, to Jericho, Rahab the harlot shall live, she, she and all who are with her in the house, because she hid the messengers that we sent, verse 18. 
And you, by all means, abstain from the accursed things. Now, that's a very important word, accursed things. Lest you become accursed when you take of the accursed things. He wanted us to remember that word, didn't he? And make the camp of Israel accursed, there it is again, and trouble it. There is our title. You see, there are some things as they took over Jericho that they were not to do. And it's interesting, the first point of our outline as we talk about this subject is don't minimize God's commands. Don't minimize God's commands. You see, in the verses that we just read, 17 and 18 of chapter 6, there's an interesting thing. God banned the spoils of Jericho. He says, don't take them. That was his prohibition. Don't take them. And you go, as I emphasized when I read the verse, and the, the second point, they were devoted things. So they were, they were banned. They were special devoted things that God had consecrated. And they were for, if you read verse 19 with me, that'll give the, the consecrated things. But all the silver and gold and vessels of bronze and iron are consecrated or devoted to the Lord. They shall come into the treasure of the Lord. That's the only thing they could take. <clears throat> Very interesting. So it's interesting that in, in, um, as we come to, uh, to verse 18, it says, by inference, the violators would be accursed in verse 18. Now, there are some commands in Scripture, and of course, I only gave a few. I did not put them on the screen, as I mentioned. But would you listen to some of these things that God is telling us through his word that we should pay heed to? Uh, his commands are not to be ignored. They are not to be. They are not to be disobeyed. They're not to be forgotten or made light of. You see, when God says "do," you better do it. When God says "don't do it," you better not do it. That's just the way God puts it, very simply, in in His Word. Now, I'm going to read. First, Second uh, uh, Corinthians chapter six and verse seventeen. Listen to the power of this word from the Lord. Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, says the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. See, God doesn't want us to touch and be involved in unclean things. Now we're either going to listen to it or we're not. Galatians six two says, let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. Are you gracious in your speech? God the Holy Spirit, if you're a believer, gives you the capacity to be very gracious and wonderful in your speech, so we need to obey that, see? Look at the third one, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16. Rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Quench not the spirit. That's a whole message. I don't plan to give that. That's a tremendous verse. Rejoice evermore. Some people aren't happy. One of the fruit of the spirit is joy. Do you have it or don't you? Maybe you haven't claimed it because you're not living where God wants you to live, you see. Now, in 2 Corinthians 6.14, in this, in this group of verses which I have put in, in your study outline, 
2 Corinthians 6.14 is very powerful. It says, Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion has light with darkness? A very, very important verse. I wonder if parents are teaching it to the children. I wonder if school, Christian schools, are teaching it. I wonder if you are learning it as you read God's Word to not be unequally yoked together. This refers to all kinds of relationships, not just the ones that you're probably thinking of right now. Ephesians 4.26 Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, neither, neither give place to the devil. Have you had a problem in your marriage? If you had a problem with a fellow believer in the church, or if you had a problem with anybody at work, at home, at school, wherever, have you got a problem? The Apostle Paul has given a timeline on which he allows you to take care of that problem, and if you don't, you're in trouble. Let not the sun go down on your wrath. Just as simple as that. Get it straightened out. That's God's way. Wonderful. 1 Thessalonians 4.22, abstain from every form of evil. 1 John 2.16, do not love the world or the things in the world. And that is a long verse. You could read more of it later. In Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other according as God forgave us in Christ. And if you don't have a forgiving spirit, my dear friend, Oh, how you are disobeying God. Learn to obey Him and have a forgiving spirit. Now, these commands are all designed to, to make us more happy than we can possibly be without them. So if you are missing, and I just gave you a little list. Just think of all the things in the God's Word that are commands. We just gave a few here. <clears throat> you will be very happy if you do them. God's commands are made to the life of His Son in us, not to our human nature. Consequently, all that God tells us to do is always humanly very difficult, but it becomes divinely easy when immediately we obey because our obedience has behind it the omnipotent power of the grace of God, said Oswald Chambers many years ago. It is not familiarity with the Bible that, just, that justifies one, but obedience to its teachings. Someone said delayed obedience is disobedience. The second item in our, in our study outline sheet today is don't trivialize prayer for everyday decisions. You see, it's easy sometimes to pray when things really get tough. And so... It's so natural to just, oh, take it to the Lord in prayer. But I believe the lesson of Scripture as we go through the Scriptures is that we need, like Paul said, pray without ceasing. We need to pray about everything. And we need to do, do a lot of it. You see, in verse 2, there's a very interesting thing here in chapter 7. In verse 2, uh, I, don't want, uh, I don't want to spend great times of reading, but just notice in verse 2, now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is besides Beth-Avon, on the east side of Bethel, and spoke to them, saying, Go up and spy out the country. So they, the men went up and spied out Ai. 
And they returned to Joshua and said to him, Do not let all the people go up, but let, let about two or three thousand men go up and attack Ai. Do not weary all the people, therefore the people are few. Wrong, wrong, wrong. If you, if you read chapter 8 and verse 5, you find out there were 12,000 of them. They didn't, they, didn't do the, they didn't do the inventory very correctly that time. So you see, in the, in, the, in the don't trivialize the prayer for everyday decision, the scouting trip uh, in verse 2, the report of the scouting trip in verse 3, the battle, look at verse 4, verse 4 is very revealing, so about 3,000 men went up uh, uh, them, uh, up there from the people, but they fled before the men of Ai. See, it was a defeated, it was a defeat. They did not win the battle. Uh, and then the results in verse 5 are given there very clearly. And the men of Ai struck down about 36 men, for they chased them from before the gate as far as Shabarim, and struck them down on the descent. Therefore the hearts of the people melted and became like water. It's interesting. They... Um, these, the results of the battle was very negative. They lost 36 men. They shouldn't have lost anybody. They're, and the sad part about this, this matter about don't trivialize prayer for every day, you cannot find in this section where either Joshua or the men who went to battle asked God anything about it. They just went and did it. There was no prayer, no command from God to actually go and do it. And so therefore... They did not win the battle. How many times, dear people, do we lose the battle because we have not prayed? No prayer for direction at all. The Gibeonites, remember in a later chapter, the Gibeonites are going to deceive Israel. And they, in verse 14 of chapter 9, they did not ask counsel of God, that is the Israelites, so very sad. So, it happened again, and it can happen in your life and in my life to fail to ask God for direction for certain things. If things are going well, why pray, many think. This may have been Joshua's situation. We don't try to criticize him beyond measure. It's just the fact that right here there's no indication that he or anyone got direction from the Lord to go to Ai and do this little battle. Past victories sometimes inflate us, and we wrongly think we are invincible and can do this, but we still need to pray. When all else fails, pray. That's better than nothing. According to Billy Graham, and this is indeed very sad, according to Billy Graham, 85% of the seminaries in the United States have no classes on prayer. No prayer. What happened to Paul's command to pray without ceasing? 1 Thessalonians 5.17. Good question. At Phoenix, Arizona, one time I was helping to defray some of our daughter's medical expenses. And we were on furlough, especially for that occasion, to help her because she was very ill. And a lady in our church hired us and a lot of others in our church to, uh, to um, work in a special uh, annexation problem in the city of Phoenix, and we did, and we were trained, and we were working, and it was time to go to lunch. We went to lunch, and I, uh, I said to the, the group, I said, uh, let's, uh, let's pray before we have our meal. And one lady piped up and says, oh, we don't do that. We don't do that in public at all. 
Maybe she should have. Because you see, I think she didn't do it at home either. Well, it's a shame, folks, when we haven't learned to take it to the Lord in prayer and just ask God to bless us in the things that we want to do, asking his blessing upon our lives. I hope that we'll get in that habit real, real soon if we don't have it. I, I loved what Mrs. Oswell Chambers said one time about her husband. Let me just read it. It's, it's very timely. She, she once said of her husband, like all teachers of forceful personality, and he was, he constantly had people longing to pour out their intimate troubles to him. I remember at the close of one meeting, a woman came up to him with the words, Oh, Mr. Chambers, I feel I must tell you about myself. As he, as he led her away to a quiet corner, I resigned myself to a long wait, but he was back again in a few minutes. As we went home, I remarked on the speed with which he managed to free himself, and he replied, I just asked her if she had ever told God all about herself. When she said she hadn't, I advised her to go home and pour out before him as honestly as she could all her troubles, then see if she still needed or wanted to relate them to me. Chambers knew the importance of going directly to Jesus when faced with a special need or a trying situation. If you haven't tried it, dear friend, try it. Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. The third matter in our outline, uh, our outline about avoiding trouble that leads to ruin is, uh, is don't criticize God for things that go wrong. Look at verse 6 of our chapter 7. I've already read it, I believe. No, I haven't. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell on the earth, fell to the earth with his face before the ark of the Lord until evening he and his elders and, and the elders of Israel, and they, they put dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us? Oh, that we might... My, we had been content and dwelt on the other side of the Jordan. O oh Lord, what shall I say when Israel turns its back before its enemies? For the Canaanite and all the inhabitants of the land will hear it and surround us and cut off our name from the earth. Then what will you do for your great name? Interesting. Interesting words as they, as they prayed. You see, the trouble is, the trouble is when things go wrong... It is easier to pray. You ever found that out? Wow, I've, it, there's no, there's, it's not even a mystery. It's always easy to pray when things aren't going well. People always come and say, would you pray for me about this? You betcha. And I ask people to pray when things are going wrong in my life. You do it and I do it. We all do it. That's, it's, it's easy to pray when, uh, when things are going wrong. And then in the second place, uh, Joshua ended up where he should have started. Because you see, when things aren't smooth, God gets the blame. Isn't that true? That's usually true. Oftentimes true. When things aren't smooth, God gets the blame. That's what happened in verse 7. It's interesting how they were just kind of laying it on the Lord. And it's interesting that in the, in the third place uh, in our outline, 
prayerlessness, prayerlessness causes selfishness. And you will notice how it was me and us and our. In other words, all these things were happening to us. And it's kind of, a, kind of a, an indication that when, when we are criticizing God, we, we tend to do that. We, we tend to, prayerlessness causes selfishness. And Joshua is concerned about what people will say about him and God. And, of course, that's, that is important, but it's true that they were criticizing God, it appears, because things hadn't gone the way they expected them to go. Well, that's very, very interesting. And we, we come to the next point, which is very interesting in our, in our study of Joshua chapter 7, because in verses 10 to 15, let me just uh, quickly look those over with you. So the Lord said to Joshua, Get up, why do you lie thus on your face? Israel has sinned, and they have also transgressed my covenant which I commanded them, for they have even taken some of the accursed things, and have both stolen and deceived, and they have also put it among their own stuff. Therefore the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but turned their backs before their enemies, because they have become doomed to destruction. Neither will I be with you anymore, unless you destroy the accursed from among you. Get up, sanctify the people, and say, Sanctify yourselves for tomorrow, because thus says the Lord God of Israel, There is an accursed thing in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the accursed thing from among you. In the morning, therefore, you shall, you shall be brought according to your tribes, and it shall be that the tribe which the Lord takes shall come according to families, and the family which the Lord takes shall come by household, and the household which the Lord takes shall come by uh, uh, man by man. Then it shall be that he who is taken with the accursed thing shall be burned with fire, he and all that he has, because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord, and because he has done a disgraceful thing in Israel. Five very powerful verses, folks. Very, very, very powerful verses telling us exactly what has happened in this situation when we come to the fourth point, don't rationalize your sin. Don't rationalize your sin. You see, uh, there is a there is a time. There is a there is a time to pray and a time to act. We saw that in verse ten. Uh, how God classifies disobedience to His commands is very interesting. I I just suggest them to you uh, in in the, the the fourth part of our outline or point D. It notice that in verse eleven. Uh, he called it sin. In the same verse, he called it transgression. In the same verse, he called it stealing. In the same verse, he called it deception. In verse 15, he called it a disgraceful thing. See, the sin of one made everybody guilty, because that's what it says in verse 11. He, the whole outfit was guilty because of the sin of one person. And you may not think that your sin is affecting somebody else. God says it does. Remember in the book of Exodus when Miriam and Aaron, her brother, criticized Moses? She was given leprosy and what happened? The children of Israel halted. They marched no more until that sin was taken care of. 
And you may not think that your little sin or big sin is affecting anybody, but I'll tell you from the scriptures, from the, from the promises of the word of God, no matter what it is in your life that you have done that is not pleasing to God, it will affect someone else somehow, someday. The results of disobedience in, our, in the same, don't, uh, <clears throat> don't rationalize your sin, down at the bottom, uh, in the middle of our, the back of the sheet, the, you see the, the, uh, the, the awfulness of, of, uh, of, of, the, of the situation which took place, we call it the results of disobedience. Verse 12, and I already read, uh, so I won't uh, repeat that again. Uh, they were helpless before the enemy. They, they were doomed to destruction. Uh, they had the lack of divine uh, protection. And then the next thing, uh, not only were the, the results of disobedience, but God's cure for the problem in verses 13 and 15, they, God says, consecrate yourselves. In other words, get this thing right. The accursed thing must be taken away, said in verse 13. The guilty would be detected, verses 14 to 15. And as I read that, those last verses, by the family, by the tribe, by the household, by man, and the guilty one was finally chosen, and, and uh, Achan was the man. What a, sad, what a sad thing. Then we notice as we come to the other point in our outline, don't antagonize the grace of God. Notice in verse 16. I'm not going to read all of these verses because there are too many of them. But just notice uh, what is meant here when we say don't antagonize the grace of God. Verse 16. So Joshua rose early in the morning and brought Israel by their tribe and the tribe of Judah was taken. Then he brought the tribe, the clan of Judah and so on. And then, then in verse uh, 18, then he brought his household man by man and Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, was taken. And now Joshua said to Achan, My son, I beg you, give glory to the Lord God of Israel and make confession to him and tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. You see, um, don't antagonize the grace of God. When the, when the first tribe of Judah was chosen, Achan at that moment could have said, Oh, man, I give up. I know it's coming. I give up. And he could have just said it right then. It would have made things all okay, I do believe. But he didn't do it, see? He didn't do it. Then when the clan of Judah was chosen, Achan could have said, I can't stand it any longer. Give up. I'm, I've, I've caused this trouble. And he didn't do it. The word Achan, of course, means trouble. When the family of the, the Zerahites was chosen, Achan again had the chance to admit the guilt, but he didn't do it again. And on it goes. When Zabdi was taken, he could have said, he could have spoken up, but he didn't do it again. And, and on and on it goes. The, the fact that he had the opportunity, but did not do it. He was antagonizing the grace of God, fighting against what God wanted them to do. So when the household was chosen, Nothing happened, 
Finally, Achan was chosen in verse 18, and Achan only confessed when, when, when he was caught, verse 19 and 20. He antagonized the grace of God, and he lost, because Achan means trouble, and Ai means ruins. He was ruined. It's really, really sad. <clears throat> Sin does awful things, and it's wonderful to be a believer in Jesus Christ, and know that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. A young minister was uh, being escorted through a coal mine in a certain, certain place, and at the entrance of one of the, uh, one of the dim passageways, he, he spied a beautiful white flower growing out of the black earth there at the coal mine. How can it blossom in such purity and radiance as in this dirty mind, the preacher asked. And the tour guide said, uh, throw some coal dust on that white flower and see for yourself. So he picked up a hand of that black, terrible dirt and he threw it on this flower. The sooty particles started to slide right off the snowy petals, leaving the plant just as lovely and unstained as before. Its surface was so smooth that the grit and grime could not adhere to it. That's the secret of a life that walks with Jesus. Your life will be so pure that when the contamination and the vileness of this world falls upon us, it will slide off and the purity of Christ will be seen. That's what he wants, my dear friends, and all of us today. Well, the conclusion, I guess, is this. That which, that which you may like best can become your greatest burden. So be sure that what you like is what God likes. That's fair enough, isn't it? Never do what you can ask God. Never do what you can ask God, what you can't ask God to bless. You see... Achan saw, he coveted, he took, he confessed his sin later on, and he lost his life because of the sin. Crooked rivers get that way by following the path of least resistance. A great evangelist by the name of Paul Rader urged a businessman, one of his friends, to receive Christ as his Savior. But the man did not respond. One day, he, the evangelist, sensed God wanted him to go to the man, and he sped there in, by train, and he found the man standing in the doorway of his place of business. And the evangelist said, I'm glad to see you. I sent you a telegram. Oh, and then the, the fellow that he went to see said, I sent you a telegram begging you to come, but I didn't send it. The man that the evangelist wanted to talk to so the evangelist said, that's okay, your message came through to me anyway, because God, you see, burdened his heart to get on a train and go to that town and visit that man. So Radar, or the, the man's name was Raider, said, that's okay, your message came through okay anyway, because God wanted me to be here. The man, under deep conviction of sin, was impressed by Raider's earnestness, and in the same hour received Christ as his Savior, right there in the doorway of his place of business. Suddenly the man gave a gasp, fell into the evangelist's arms, dead. He had been saved on the very brink of eternity. And oh, dear friends, 
I guess my burden is this. If you're here without Jesus, don't delay any longer. You never know when the last moment will come. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, speak to our hearts. Help us to make things right with you. You are a holy God. And you will forgive us if we will come to you in childlike faith and just lay before you our burden. Help people, Lord, today to make decisions that they need to make. Help spiritual transactions to take place right now as we close this service. And before I do close this service, I'm not going to advertise your name. Of course I won't, but would you just slip your hand up and say, Ralph, I need prayer. Pray for me about something that's been said today, maybe. Yes, thank you. Anyone else? God bless you. God bless you, Lord. Help those who are making decisions today for you. Help it to account for eternity this moment together in your presence at our church here. May Jesus be pleased with what has taken place today and take these dear folks to their homes and help them to think about Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. We pray these things in our Savior's name. Amen.